Hello, and welcome to our Season of Creation episodes of Prophetic Voices, Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and the lectionary through the lens of social justice. The Season of Creation is celebrated September 1st through October 4th by Christians around the world as a time for renewing, repairing, and restoring our relationship to God, one another, and all of creation. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation, and I'm so glad you could join us. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing the lectionary for Sunday, September 3rd, Proper 17. Our amazing guests this week are the talented Phoebe Chatfield, who serves as the Program Associate for Creation, Care, and Justice for the Episcopal Church Presiding Bishop's Office. She lives in Somerville, Massachusetts, and is committed to creating a world where all can thrive. The Reverend Leon Sampson, who serves as curate priest at Good Shepherd Mission in Navajo Land. He is also an accomplished chef who enjoys sharing food and stories with friends. And last but not least, Dr. Delia Heck, who is from Callaway, Virginia. She is a member of the Task Force on Creation Care and Environmental Racism for the Episcopal Church and is a professor of environmental science at Ferrum College in Ferrum, Virginia. Welcome, friends. Welcome, all of you. Thank you so much for being willing to be here and share your wisdom. Why is it important for Episcopalians to follow the season of creation and think about creation care? I believe that there's a lot of denominations within our turtle mother earth that are very um, faith driven. They are believers in Christ, but they're not very much uh, very good practices of stewardship for creation and care. In our context, we're Navajo Land Area Mission. We have quite a bit of a challenge when we're looking at land preservation in context of the resources that we have here in Navajo land is very is very abundant for the united states and the world to be able to pull from this but it hurts the communities that we serve and it hurts the people that we are a part of so uh being it out of the context of in creation i believe there's a lot of dismissal or denial about creation care that a lot of faith people are not able to do so this would be a very good awareness practice when we're looking at preaching when we're looking at doing particular practices so recognizing and giving homage and recognition to a lot of the, the people and the land that are around us in our particular context before we start every service all of our regions in the Navajo land area mission and some of our church partners are starting to pray a prayer and land acknowledgement prayer. And in ours is a four directional prayer where we pray and give reference to all the many tribes uh, that are located in each direction, starting from the east to the south, the west, and then the north. And so these references give a lot of our parishioners and uh, visiting partners awareness about the creation the creation of people, the creation of the land that they reside on, and just making that awareness more abundant. So I think that's, first of all, uh, stewardship in the biggest context is probably the best way to do this. Yeah, that's such a beautiful way to get this conversation started because the season of creation is not only about awareness, as you mentioned, but it's also really a, a season that's about ecumenical and global solidarity. It's practiced by thousands of Christians all around the world um, and has been since 1989. And it really is a chance to share our stories within the Episcopal Church and across denominations and around the world so we can learn the practices 
that local Christian communities are doing and build a, a real spirit of global solidarity. Because we know that in order to tackle the crises we're facing, like climate change and environmental destruction and the unjust use of resources, like Reverend Leon was just mentioning, it takes that really global approach. I think that the Episcopal Church stands at a crossroads. The greatest challenge uh, facing humanity at this point is the changing climate. And for me, as an Episcopalian, the intersection of creation care, environmental racism, reconciliation, and evangelism is in this space, Hmm. that if we listen to the Holy Spirit and we want to engage in loving our neighbor and building beloved community, then that has to be a component of this. We cannot address this global challenge of this century without being engaged in telling the story, as Phoebe said, telling our stories of love, of reconciliation, of addressing the problems and the sins of the past that have led us to this place. And it is the hope that drives us forward, the hope of Jesus Christ that leads us into the solutions of the future. What ideas do you have for liturgically or for worship, worshiply (laughs) for a season of creation care worship or adding things like elements that you might think of that might be included in that? I'm thinking of maybe things like taking worship outside, or, you know, maybe we do planting garden as part of our worship service or whatever. Maybe we make our own bread from wheat that we grew in our lawn or something. I don't know. But what other ideas do you all have? Besides the uh, the four directional land and people acknowledgement prayer, giving reference to what is out there, traditionally, a lot of our elders and a lot of our clanship are based off of... Um, how we reference each other and how we reference creation as part of our relatives. Saying water is our brother. Saying water is our grandfather. Saying fire is our grandparents. In these liturgical practices, when we say these things in, say, the liturgical form, and we reference the relationship within the church, and we we use those in a context, When we do the Bible study every Wednesday, we read from the indigenous Bible that we offer. We've read this gospel that we hear from uh, Matthew this week. And in that reference, it gives a lot of connotations to creator and our brother water and these kind of things that really gives the context in a a different perspective. And it really allows a lot of our people to start to gain more of an understanding of that spiritual connection, the spiritual relationship that we have with our creation. Without that, with the dismissal context of us being part of the creation, the matter of all of us being part of us, we're just going to be taking it over. And that's what typically happens. So bringing a lot of our people back into the context of being in relationship with elements that God has created, not this allowing this to just to be a resource for us, but an actual abundance to give back as well. Yeah, the season of creation is an invitation to include prayers for the earth into all aspects of our worship. And there's a lot of different ways 
to do that. Um, and I'm thinking about the invitation that you just gave Reverend Leon to do that, not just as praying for the earth or the environment as sort of a separate entity, but praying for it as a relative and as something that we need to have a strong relationship with. Some congregations are sort of including climate change and environmental justice in their prayers of the people throughout this season. Others are hosting special season of creation worship services, including outside, like you mentioned, Shaniqua. This could be going just truly outside um, onto the grounds of the church where you worship, but it could also be an opportunity to do something more creative, like an ecumenical worship service in partnership with another church in your town or community, or more of a pilgrimage model, actually going to a place in your community Mm -hmm. where there is a sign of environmental destruction, whether that's going to the shores of a river and talking about efforts to ensure clean water there, going to a place where a sacred site has been or could be destroyed for some sort of a project. So it, it could be a chance to think really creatively And the Season of Creation Guide has a sample ecumenical worship service that you can use if you're looking for a starting place for that. And it has language in that guide that our sermons, prayers, and liturgies must call for justice, not only for humans, but for all creation, really um, in the spirit of what we've been discussing. I think there's something very important that both um, Phoebe and Reverend Leon said, which was uh, about the community in each place. We talk a lot in the Episcopal Church about the the three-legged stool, about um, scripture, tradition, and reason. So the season of creation allows us to focus in on those scriptures that call us to be back into right relationship with um, creation. It also allows us to think about what are those traditions that we have held on to that perhaps are unhealthy and need to be let go, and what types of new traditions might we begin during this season that are, are healing and, and appropriate in our own communities. And those are going to look very different across the Episcopal Church. And then I think reason. So many of us, I think, have come lately to an understanding of what climate justice and environmental racism in. And so I think it's a very important time to learn about who are the impacted communities and what do we mean by environmental racism and climate justice? Because if we're not engaging our minds um, and tying that to our hearts and our prayers, then we lose some of that richness that the Episcopal Church has to call us, not just on Sunday mornings, into these uh, worship opportunities, but out into the communities to address these problems. Some of the things we do here, uh, as far as having a, a youth ministry, a youth program that's designed around what we would call the back to the kitchen table. Back to the kitchen tables is a reference to a community that eats back at the table in communion. And in a very same sense, it's a culinary camp that's offered in the summertime that brings our native students in the community back to understanding their traditional ingredients that they typically see in a ceremonial practice that could be used in a culinary dish like blue cornmeal, sage, things of that sort that typically are part of a smudging, that are part of a blessing element could be used in say blue corn ice cream. I mean, <laughs> taking something that they typically would not dream of, of understanding doing and making something cool of it and, and really bringing that traditional practice of praying and using these things as prayer elements 
back in their daily regiment and having that part of it, a program like back to the kitchen table or taking a congregation in Utah to a site that's predominantly sought out as uh, being overrun by mining like uh, uh, Bears Ears there in Utah. Uh, we just had the one administration who was shortening the preservation of the land so they can get to the, to the mining resources of the Bears Ears. Well, that congregation went up to that to that very same site and prayed. They had liturgical services up there on that site to actually physically pray for the, at those places. And so just maybe practicing going outside and taking your shoes off and standing in the grass. And I mean, like sunrise service for us is just such a beautiful thing in the Easter season when we go out by the river and we're standing out with the geese flying by and it's kind of a crisp air and we've just got beautiful water running and there's the beautiful sunrise coming up for the Easter season. That is what brings people back to awareness of something liturgically practiced that brings them back to the awareness of their of their community. You talked about taking your shoes off and it made me think of the Exodus. So let's start with the <laughs> Exodus. I'm curious about who you identify with in the story. Or do you identify with like the flock of sheep or the whatever it was that he was herding? Or maybe do you identify with the bush? Sometimes I feel like I'm talking and I'm like saying things and we're trying to use the prophetic voice and nobody listens or... Maybe you identify with Moses, like, you know, you're just trying to do your thing and then God comes in and pushes you out the way, or maybe you identify with something else, but who do you identify with in this? I'm afraid that I find myself like Moses um, saying, who, me? <laughs> I don't need to be doing that. You've picked the wrong person, God. That's, this is not um, who I am supposed to be. Um, there's got to be someone else who should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I think I came to this uh, ministry with no clue of what I was doing, except perhaps an ability to say, okay, or yes, I'll do that. And the most comforting thing that I find in this story from Exodus is when God says, I will be with you. Mm. Because for me, that is the key phrase, perhaps in all of the Old Testament, uh, if not all of the Bible, that the issues of climate change and environmental racism at times can seem overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It can be so large. And we're talking about global processes where circulation patterns in the atmosphere and in the ocean are changing. And I, as one single person, can't possibly do anything that's going to stop those changes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you're at the COP meetings or in listening to discussions on Capitol Hill, you feel you as one person alone um, have no real agency in this. But the story for me from Exodus reminded me that when Moses said, you know, who me? And God said, you know, his first words were not pushing Moses up and saying, you're a great leader, Moses, or, you know, um, you have all the skill sets that I need to solve this problem. That wasn't God's first response. God's first response was, I will be with you. Mm. And that's what I have to take with me is that God will not just be with me, but God will be with all of us. And that is all that we need in order to address these challenges. 
That's so beautiful. I also felt so comforted by those words, I will be with you. And by what God says a little bit before saying, I hear your cries. I know the sufferings, sort of that acknowledgement that God is with us in the darkness and hears our cries of fear and anxiety and pain. I think the moment I identified with most in this reading was the one that you were (laughs) introducing it with, Shaniqua, when God says, remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Mm. Makes me think about what each of us can remove from ourselves physically or from the way that we live in order to really feel that we are on holy ground. Like what can we get rid of that is a distraction or that separates us from the earth or from one another in order Mm. to see and feel that sacredness. And it also is the sort of a theology that I think about a lot, which is theology of the whole of creation as sacred and as holy ground, um, which to me is such a clear reason that we as Christians, as Episcopalians, as people of faith need to speak up and say that the destruction of any corner of the earth goes against our faith. If we really believe that the world is sacred and holy ground, then the destruction of any place, whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's across town in a different type of neighborhood, or whether it's on the other side of the world, that any destruction like that um, goes against our sense of this world as created and holy. You know, some say that as far as the Navajo tradition and where if you've ever, ever been a sheep herder, that's the first place the sheep go is up the hill, <laughs> the highest point in the mountain and it's always hard to get up there to get it back because they make you walk to the highest point before they even <laughs> come back. There's a lot of similarities with being a sheep herder. My father was a sheep herder for many years. Uh, I considered him a philosopher because he's had quite a few, uh, time, quite a bit of time to just kind of philosophize about life and to really be taught by the sheep and be taught by the circumstances that he's in. Maybe he was approached by God somewhere out there by a burning bush, but he was very smart in what he did. But but I think there was a lot of um, understanding about life and love when it comes to being part of a society or part of a, a like a sheep herd that's very humble. And God didn't come to the, to the pharaohs. He came to the sheep herders. He came to the common people, came to the people that would understand what it meant like, what it meant to have some humility, to have some understanding and know that respectfully they are on holy grounds and they know what that meant. And there are are many times that we look for possibly a prophetic voice from God to guide us. Not necessarily like Moses, maybe all the time, but it's there. In subtle ways, and I think it, it comes in times when you're in struggle. It comes in times when you're in humility, but it comes. You just have to listen. Mm. So where have you seen the misery of your people or heard their cry? And how have you asked God to intervene? Or maybe how have you have walked with God to intervene? My novel traditions, we have many prophetic stories of holy ones uh, the most common thing that we are here about reasons why things are happening in the world is because language and cultural history is being diminished. The language of our people, the cultural practices, 
the herbiculture of the medicines are being lost. And so therefore, that's why uh, things are, are happening. That's what prophetically, that's what they, they say, like the Moses bush. And I see those same patterns when we're looking at the society around us. We look at our society now today, I feel like there are some misunderstandings about where this historical trauma comes from, this reactions from historical trauma from our teenagers, from our young mothers and fathers. And I call it the ripple effect. So when you have a lake, say a calm lake in the middle of nowhere, and you drop a huge rock in the middle of this lake, and it makes this huge, rough, a rough, violent splash in the middle. But as it starts to reside and, and kind of goes out to the shores, it's very small, it's very subtle, it's very, it barely hits the shores. That's where our youth are feeling that today. But it's still effective. The boarding school era, the reconciliation of land, the Reduction Act of killing off of a lot of the, the sheep and the farmland from our people. A lot of these things have ripple effects that are currently affecting our youth and our young generation today. And it's all from being displaced in their land, in their culture. And it's where we have to try and start to try and do some reconciliation with that. That's the cry that I see. That's the cry that we are trying to say as Christian people, it is okay to see God in their songs, in their regalia, in their dances, in their prayers. Because when the churches come to our reservations and say, no, that's not God, that's not God, that's not God, that's the effects that we see from that. I will be very clear that I come from a place of privilege. And so in my own setting, I am able to acknowledge that and to see um, and listen to the stories of Reverend Leon and others who are disproportionately burdened by the historic acts of the past, the sins of the past, and also from my own choices today. For me, I think this is common place that lots of Episcopalians find themselves. And so through some of the tools that uh, we have, the Task Force on Creation Care and Environmental Racism and the General Convention Office, the Neighborhood Exploration Tool, what we are attempting to do is to tell those stories more clearly and more directly so that others become aware and then feel called to address them, that we have resources as a church that have been accrued through means that have been built on the backs of other human beings and through mm. confiscated resources. We have to name that sin, and then how do we use those resources, in my perspective, to address the problems of this historical racism and institutionalized racism. And so I think some of the, the mapping tools that we have um, that we're beginning to share, when you show people the pictures today of the environmental racism, of the impact on communities of color or communities that have an inordinate impact on their health and their communities, then it becomes more tangible 
to see that impact. And then we need to call them to not just see it and be aware of it, but respond to it and to do it. And so for me, the season of creation is an ability to shine a spotlight on the, both the resources that we have, but also the challenges, and then to ask people uh, to examine where the Holy Spirit is calling them to address these things. Yeah, what I hear in that, and in both of what you both said, is that there's a spiritual practice of not only crying out our own lament and grief, but also listening to the cries of others um, in our communities Mm. and across difference within the church. And to me, all of this is why we cannot do the work of creation care without also doing the work of repudiating the doctrine of discovery, without also doing the work of truth and reckoning, um, that there's a real need for a, a sense of curiosity. That was coming up for me a lot when I was thinking about how especially churches that have not participated in the season of creation before, who have not done a lot of work on environmental justice or environmental racism, that starting from a place of curiosity is so important to that, to ask questions about what is happening in your community around these issues, using tools like the map that that Dilly was talking about to really locate your congregation in these issues and in these histories. And then I do think there's also a broader sense of lament or crying out that is more universal, especially among young people, you know, especially young people impacted by the legacies of colonialism um, and racism, like Reverend Leon was speaking about, but also all young people experiencing what it means to come of age into a world that is changing so rapidly And in this time in which their access to bad and concerning and anxiety producing news is so universal. And so I think as the church, there's a need to listen to the cries of young people, follow the leadership of young people, but also really stand strong in a message of hope and transformation. That's why I like the theme of this year's season of creation so much. Let justice and peace flow like a mighty river. Like really, how do we practice spiritual faith that transformation and justice and peace are possible and are, you know, on the way. I think one thing that you can be reassured when you are looking at resources and tools to reconnect to or to connect is that you have indigenous communities all around your churches. Dr. Discovery, Brie Manifest Destiny, there were 2 million tribes that were available, still established. Now there are about 900 so on drives that are still remaining, but they are all around your tribes. And if you are seeking a community, reach out, reach out to, to get to know them because they're willing to listen, to talk, and to empathize, be empathized about, and really share and be part of your congregations. So that's the reason why we have these practicing tools so congregations can reach out to their indigenous communities and the people of color to start to really start to know know them on a deeper level. One of the things I appreciated that you mentioned, Leon, is about like how we think about things as relatives. You talked about like fire being grandparents, I think, and along those lines. And we as Lakota people, of course, think about relatives. In hearing the story of Exodus, which always as an indigenous person, I always put myself in the role of the Canaanites. It's very hard as an indigenous person not to read the story of the Exodus in that and, and be in that place, right? Because it was also used to justify doctrine of discovery and taking of our land. But what are some things to keep in mind so that 
one group's liberation is not tied up in the oppression of another's. And I'm thinking like, you know, there's so many times where like, we might think we're doing the quote unquote right thing. And we're like, oh, we're, you know, buying our blah, blah, blah coffee. And we don't even realize that, you know, the people who are making the coffee or picking the beans are getting paid so little. And, you know, like that kind of thing. How do we get ourselves out of just like, thinking our meat comes from a styrofoam container that we get at the store. And like, I mean, there's all these things. What are some ideas, y'all? When you are immersed in the context of creation, you get a better sense of the appreciative value of where things come from and how, how God has created and provided for a lot of these things. Like I mentioned, being out and putting your foot in the grass. Have you ever heard the sunrise? Early in the morning, I mean, probably harder in the city, but out when you get to a place in the mountains, you can hear the sunrise. Right before it starts to come up, you start to hear the earth wake up, the grass moves, the trees start to sway, the birds start to mm. call, the coyotes start to warm up, the dogs start barking, everything starts to wake up, and then you hear the cars moving about. Being immersed in creation is a great way to understand where things are at. Back to the kitchen table here for us means that we get our kids to understand where things are growing, how do we process that foods that are being created into a meal that is necessitate and healthy for us, but also how do we pray and give thanks to someone else. So there's always that process, right? Jesus got all the examples. The Gospels have all the examples of how do we move from one society, right? We talked about how do we get complacent in one society? Well, in the gospel scriptures, we hear all the lessons about people who are handicapped or uh, can't get to the well or uh, are trying to get to Jesus' path. What do they do? They shed their clothes in order to get to Jesus. Mm. And to have that faith to move into understanding that God is all part of the creation. It's not just a preacher on Sunday, but it's Monday through Sunday, all in the same week. I think we have to ask that question, Shaniqua, that you said. How, how do we make sure that we're not navel-gazing and just thinking about ourselves? Oh, look, I'm a good Episcopalian. I'm caring about Christian care. I'm recycling. <laughs> it's, it's something bigger than that. And within the global climate movement, we have things that we do that mitigate CO2 emissions. You know, how do we stop the faucet? Um, how do we turn that off? We then have um, things that are adaptation. So the kitchen is flooded from all of the, the water, but we have to clean that up. But the third piece and the, and the one that I feel most called to as a follower of the way of Jesus is loss and damage. And that is the question of who is most impacted by our choices on a daily basis. Mm. And it is the hardest question because we don't want to admit that the fact that we drive gas cars and that we eat meat and that we stop by McDonald's for a frappe or Starbucks, that we in fact are causing harm to our siblings around the world. And that becomes very difficult to live with ourselves when we profess to want to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we are forced to acknowledge that our daily choices do matter and that they do contribute to the problem. And so 
in the season of creation, I think we're called to um, repentance and to examine our ways. Out of the Diocese of California, something called sustainislandhome.org, which allows those type of apps allow us to track the impact that we have. We can become more engaged in understanding what loss and damage means. And it doesn't necessarily just mean someone in an island community in the South Pacific. It could mean communities of color in South Florida or in Louisiana, or in the West on in native lands. So I think we have to really examine our own choices and decide, do we want to get into right relationship with creation? And what are we willing to give up in order to do that? Yeah, Delia, you have been such a gift to this church and specifically to our delegations of Episcopalians bearing witness at the United Nations Climate Summits, most recently uh, last year, COP27, which took place in Egypt, and the year before at COP26. And each year, I was lucky enough to get to work with a delegation of 20 Episcopalians from all across the church who all said yes to an invitation to represent the church and really bearing witness and listening to the voices of people around the world talking about how climate change impacts them. And a couple of the real learnings from that that I think speak to this question, um, the first was just the importance of collective action, that what we do together is so much stronger than what we could do alone. Mm. And the second is that Part of bearing witness to the ways that people are being displaced from their homes because of environmental problems, people are experiencing extreme weather events and disasters. And I know this summer, a lot of Episcopalians have felt that firsthand in new ways, whether that's going outside and not being able to breathe clean air because of wildfire smoke or experiencing flash flooding. You know, a real question of what is the role of faith communities as sites of support in the midst of disasters and also sites of resilience where people can find ways to adapt to what they're experiencing and come out the other side still in relationship with one another. Let's shift gears and kind of talk about the gospel. I want to make sure a lot of people usually preach on the gospel, but I think Exodus is a great thing to preach on. So that story, especially, you know, most people are familiar with that story, especially if you've seen Prince of Egypt. In the gospel, you know, Jesus kind of talks about what's going to happen to him and stuff. And then there's this conflict with Peter. But sometimes I feel like when we are trying to stop a system like Big Oil or some others that are just seem so massive, it's kind of like Jesus when he was trying to lift up that new paradigm of love in the Roman-occupied territory. And sometimes I feel like we get persecuted or even crucified in some very specific and sometimes very real ways, especially indigenous people with Big Oil. What is our call or role in this? And how is our church like Peter? How are we like Peter, maybe? Or how is our church like Jesus? How are we like Jesus? You know, I think Peter uh, gave a great example when he saw the prophets. Of course, one of his first contextual reactions in that moment in time was to say, let's build a dwelling. Let's, let's make something universal so that we don't have to give Jesus to be sacrificed. We can keep him here on the mountain, keep him safe, and not worry about about the troubles of life. But uh, I feel like even in Exodus, when we hear about the, the burning bush and the prophetic voice of God and 
holy grounds and the whole funneling to this point where now Jesus has been telling the, the prophets about his journey and how the shift has to change from an, an external God from an internal God and, and how that their little, I guess, childlike mentality of, of a leader that's going to be set on a pedestal for many years to save them is, is going to be diminished. And I think the prophet that were displayed during that time has always been an example to say that God is still with us. God is with, was with us with the prophets of the old, and God is with us with the prophets of the new. And how many times have we've always doubted ourselves and what's happened in the world today? Sometimes things get so hard to fight, say, oil industries where they have a lot of money to get lawyers. But we get a glimpse of God's hand still in the midst of that. We just have to continue to listen, just like the way Peter has, to be able to recognize that God is still in the works of all this, and we need to do the legwork for God here because he still has a plan for us, and that plan is still is still visible within all that we do. Part of what's happening in this story is that Jesus says to Peter, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Sometimes people have twisted this idea that we need to focus only on the divine and not on the human to say that we don't need to worry about what's happening with earth. We don't need to worry about whether we are trashing God's creation or what's happening. We only need to focus on the divine. But I think that that's a a misinterpretation because I think there's this invitation to see that when we are prioritizing our lives over the divine, part of that is when we're prioritizing comfort or we're prioritizing conformity or we're prioritizing maybe tradition, Mm -hmm. like Delia was saying, over being a part of the work of transformation and justice. Part of what happens when we're focusing on human things, I don't think that means focusing too much on this world that we share. I think that that is our call to focus on the world that we share. But the human things like our own comfort and sort of conforming with the world as it is today, instead of being willing to take some courageous risks in imagining a transformed world. I'll be honest, I don't like the idea of um, denying myself and taking up a cross. That doesn't sound like fun. And I think the church can be that way as well. We don't want to experience suffering or pain. That's crazy talk, especially in the midst of prosperity gospels and a message that that's, you don't have to do that to be a follower of Jesus. So this passage in the context of creation care, I think, does ask us, what does it mean? Um, and what are we holding on to, as as Phoebe and Liam has said? What is it that is most important? And what are we holding on to so tightly in our hands that we're not willing to let go? And, and that might be a perception of what we need to be comfortable. What does it mean for our standard of living? So I think we need to be very thoughtful about that. I think sometimes we know what we're called to do, or we think we know what we're called to do. And then sometimes the church will try and stop us. Like there's always the people at church, well, if we do that, then blah, 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 or we might lose members or we might da, 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 da. And we have these fears. And then I think when we think about like, 
if we understand creation as sacred, if we understand everyone as relatives, those are the divine things, right? Like the human things is just when we think about only ourselves and not realize that we're connected in this great relationship with all these other things too. Dila, you talked about taking up your cross and following Jesus. What does that look like with regard to environmental justice and creation care? I think one of the people said, you know, when you become a Christian, you also have to know that that means that at some point you might be crucified. And that's like a walk that you are supposed to be willing to take. I hope I never have to take that walk. But what might that look like in terms of creation care? Maybe saying things that might be unpopular is kind of one of the things I thought of. This last dinner convention in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, Navajo Land Area Mission put forth a resolution with General Convention to uh, asking to have a more participating role in the election of a Navajo bishop within our area mission canons. That means that we would um, have to reconfigure what the canons say currently. We would have to look at questioning the method that the canon show for the House of Bishops that has for Navajo Land Area Mission. When you have something, a canon like that, that area mission has been guided for so long, it's like boarding school all over again. It is the institutional entity assimilating the Native community into a process of conformity to church. They call it prayer camps. We will give you the amount of money as long as you are conforming to our mission prayer churches. So we never had any canonical vote. We never had a canonical voice unless we were at convention. So this resolution actually opens the door to a lot of conversations. Oddly enough, I mean, praise God, it was unanimously passed by the House of Bishops and the House of Deputies. A lot of our uh, clergy and our council members here we're very afraid to even entertain that idea of changing the canons because then we would be pushing back against the relationship with the church and the relationship with the House of Bishops. And they felt like they were going to lose funding, they were going to lose relationship, they were going to lose ties and partners with the church, and that we wouldn't survive otherwise. And so there was a lot of fear around that. Still is a little bit of a lot of fear around that retaliation, you could say. What we preach is that we wanted to be more of a participating Christian in Episcopalian in, in the block grant that we have and dictating what we can do, what we can't do in a church. We're now coming to an understanding and discernment process that we are entertaining that idea with the council, with our elders, and we're retelling our narrative that we've been telling about becoming sustainable and so what does that look like and so we're discerning that and we're in a lot of discernment and conversations about what the process might look like and it is a lot of back and forth but i think in the most part we're using scripture and we we are we know that god is at our at our hand to help us guide us in this process it's going to be that cornerstone that we preach about that cornerstone that becomes the solid piece and how we become a sustainable mission. And it's going to be a wonderful jubilee that day when we get to that point and we will celebrate that with the church.
and all of your journey with us together. I think that's very important what Leon said, that, that it's a journey together and that God is with us. Whenever my fear starts to get bigger than my hope, I have to do a real reality check for myself. Mm. And I have to say, okay, Delia, what are you really afraid of? Is it your pride being hurt? Is it someone calling you crazy? I mean, going back to this life of privilege that I have, I am not being called into slavery. <laughs> I am not having my lands repossessed. I am not being sent to a boarding school where my culture and my identity is being stripped from me. The suffering that I might have because I speak truth to power within the church or within my community is nothing compared to what my siblings have had to suffer in the past. So to me, it's just like, oh, come on, Delia, get over yourself. <laughs> Listen to the Holy Spirit and do the things that God is calling you to do, because there have been prophetic voices in the past um, who have had to carry a burden much greater than yours. And the least you can do is make way for their stories to be told, for their voices to be lifted, so that the true heroes and the true saints of God might have their voices heard. Hmm. To me, so much of taking up our cross and following Jesus with regard to environmental justice is just what, what Delia mentioned, is listening to our particular call, which is going to look so different in each of our individual contexts, um, and being willing to really examine what we fear and trust that there is something greater than that within us and with God. I see people taking up this cross, particularly when they when they look at the world as it is and they see that in order to protect a just and livable future, we cannot keep building new fossil fuel infrastructure. Hmm. People in our church have been active in resisting that, whether that's in Virginia fighting against the Mountain Valley pipeline or the fight against the Line 3 pipeline through Minnesota and when I went out to the Line 3 pipeline resistance a couple of summers ago, I was really inspired by people who were doing civil disobedience and really willing to put a lot on the line um, in order to protect Anishinaabe land out there and as part of this broader fight to imagine a renewable energy infrastructure and a just transition away from fossil fuels. And it needs to start with people who have the privilege to do something like risk arrest. And there's a lot of privilege that can come into that, whether that's whiteness or wealth or other aspects. But I think that people of all types being willing to take the risks that they can is what we need. One really inspiring example have been people, including Episcopalians in Hawaii, fighting for clean water there and really mm. speaking up, even in a complex context in which the water pollution is coming from the US military there and being willing to say that the U.S. military needs to play a role in cleaning up the damage to the Hawaii freshwater system that they've done. And another example that has really inspired me recently has been an organization called Third Act, where people who are retired are committing to spending a lot of their time in that third act of life working for climate justice in intergenerational relationship with youth climate activists as well to say, now that I'm retired, this is going to be my vocation and my call in this time of my life.
I really do feel like this gospel has been speaking and guiding um, uh, you, your voices today in advocacy with what you've been talking about really gives me the confidence to reevaluate my fear. Next weekend, I will be going before uh, the county here with Utah, uh, one of our churches, which holds one of the purest aquifer in the county that serves over 3,000 members in the community with pure, clean aquifer water, drinking water for the community. There are three communities around us that have wells that have been fracked and have lost their wells due to the Bureau of Land Management leasing these wells mm. to big corporate industries, and they've fracked through their uh, ruined their well and given it back to the people that have purchased it. Unfortunately, the people that purchase it are people that want to benefit from the financial gain. Right before I went to seminary in 2016, uh, we had an oil company come out and petition to frack one mile away from our aquifer well, which means they would be drilling through the tectonic plate that pulls that aquifer water just to get to the oil and flood it with chemicals. Well, we had such a huge impact report, which wasn't revealed to us. We had probably three days before it was going to shut down and before it was approved if there wasn't any response. And so we put the word out there to the community. Our presiding bishop at the time, Catherine Jeffrey Shorey, the right Reverend Catherine Jeffrey Shorey, had protest with the silent auction. And that well and two other wells were removed from their bid, their prison, their quote to uh, what the drill. The 2013 today, now the county is trying to reboundary the land that surrounds our mission property away from the um, township, which means it would preserve land rights that are sitting on that property to the county. So then the county commissioner can go ahead and um, repetition that well. And if we deny them, then he has every right to sue us and sue us for everything we have just to get to that well. We've made our opposition uh, to that drill, and we are going to speak in front of the county about the importance of preserving the, the land that we serve. We just had an 80 years um, celebration with the mission grounds being established and the well that we rededicated back to the people so that they might have fresh aquifer water to years to come. So this testimony that you've shared in, in saying, where is the, really the fear come from? The fear is not from them. The fear is that we, from me and myself, and so I have the confidence now to go forward to confront this county commissioner and the people that are trying to do this. So thank you for your words. Wow. So the question I was going to ask, which I really, I think you kind of answered it, Leon. Some evangelical traditions say it's okay to trash creation because God won't return until after that happens anyway. And so I was going to ask, like, what does God's kingdom look like to you? Or what would God's kingdom look like if we created it here on earth? And you've just kind of talked about it. It looks like me doing my part and speaking out and taking up that cross, right? And that's a scary walk. And I want you to know that we are walking that walk with you. And of course, we support you. 
creation care and environmental justice is about saving lives, not just human lives, but, you know, all living things and saving creation, which sort of seems counterintuitive to Jesus's statement where it was those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. What do you think about that? Or how does that fit? Or how do you understand that as you hear that? I've given many sermons before, uh, started out with, uh, hello, my name is Reverend Leon Sampson, and I am in recovery. And I don't say that in context of a substance abuse. I say that in the context of an assimilation, a colonial divesting from church, colonial churches, uh, systems have really been important for me to understand, especially when I attend a seminary, a uh, very traditional seminary, and then I come back and I'm immersed back into the Navajo culture, the mythology, and the songs and prayers. I cannot help but see the practices of some of the churches uh, that have hurt our people quite often. And then those are the tools that our younger generation uses nowadays when they come to the church and you say, hey, come back to the church. They say, well, this is the church that did this to us. Yes. And having an understanding that God is still with us. So Hmm. being able to work with divesting from some of the practices that might not look like us, but also honoring the things that we do have that don't look like the church. Mm. Typically does not fit in the same shape, pegel, which makes us, makes us unique to who we are. But in the same sense, it's the context of, of our tradition and the mythologies that we have are very similar to the gospel. Mm. Case in point, the, the Genesis story very similar to creation story among the Navajo people. So there's a lot of things that we could say, like the, the Canaanites tradition, things of that sort that very similar to the traditions of indigenous people. But there are some things that, that don't look the same, and that's what makes us unique to who we are. And even am- among different indigenous communities, we're unique to our own selves, but that's who we are and how we identify ourselves and we can honor those things in that way. So I hadn't really thought about it in this context before. It's an excellent question, Shaniqua. I think in the U.S., we think of life and a successful life as one of accumulation, right? That you're Mm. moving up Mm. and up the ladder, you get more things, bigger house, bigger cars, lots of stuff. In doing that, we have unknowingly set the standard for the rest of the world. And now people all over want to emulate us. Unfortunately, they want the American dream, the American lifestyle. And so in seeking that quote unquote life, we are in fact, as a global community, losing the biodiversity and the resources that make life on this planet possible. Mm. Again, I'd never thought about this lesson in that context, but what really needs to happen is that we need to let go of that consumption-based lifestyle in order to preserve life. Because if we all continue along that path, we will destroy the very basis of life itself. But if we give up 
that desire for more and the consumption of resources, then in fact, there will be life and there will be life abundantly for everyone on the planet. I think that framing is so challenging, but so sort of spot on to some of the realities we're facing. And I think an exciting question there is what will that life abundant be? And how might we actually, on the other side of that, be better connected to the land and the places that we live in stronger and more just relationship with our neighbors and sort of recovering some of the spiritual richness of what it looks like to be a part of biodiverse ecosystems of what it looks like to be living more communally, maybe embracing things like rest and the Sabbath, not only for the land, but also for ourselves, instead of that kind of vision of always accumulating more and rising to new, you know, intense, successful heights, like what could that look like to be in a place of giving ourselves that opportunity to rest and restore and be present in the abundance that we have right now? I was thinking about like the Lakota concept of wealth, where your wealth is not based on what you have, but rather on what you can give away. So if you can give away more than your neighbor, you're considered more wealthy. But when, you know, it's like those who want to save their life, the tighter you hold something sometimes and the harder it is, right, for it to stay in your hand, or you could end up crushing it and thinking about that. So my last question is, uh, what ideas or tips do you have for preaching Proper 17, this lectionary that we've discussed today? When I practice look, looking at a reading, first of all, I take my reading and I go to a place where I'm not distracted by electronics, <laughs> not in front of the TV, not with my phone. I go to a place uh, that we call uh, Hoan Namaza, which is a round dwelling, earth dwelling, which is made of earth. When you go inside this home, it's made of wood, which is completely like a dome inside. And there's only light you see is at the door. It's very quiet. It's very sheltered from the noise outside. And I remember a story that my grandfather told me. He said, the way we think about a society changing simplicity is the way, say, an elder used to live in this home. She would have her fireplace, the fire stove or whatever was there was, was her oven or her tea cooktop. The bookshelf that's on the side would be the pantry that holds the flour, the coffee, the, the lard, whatever else that needs to be there. And then you have the, the sheep and the, the wagon outside. And totally content with, with what she has. Loves life. She's praying. And then all of a sudden she hears a knock at the door. And here comes society. <laughs> and this society comes in form of a missionary. And this missionary comes out and says, Grandmother, oh my gosh, look at you. You're living in poverty. So she says, what does poverty mean? Well, you don't have a big screen TV. You don't have <laughs> internet. You don't have a toilet. You don't have running water. You don't even, you don't even have a cell phone. So then she turns around and looks at herself and says, Oh, yes, what about me? What about me? These rising to success in what we have in, in consumption is that very same thing. Simplicity, when I bring myself to understanding the Gospels and reading 
and simplicity. I, I emerge myself, go to a park, go walk into fall leaves and hear those leaves among your feet. Shh, 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 shh. As you walk, listen to God in other contexts other than a sermon on the internet. Listen to God in your heart in places that God can speak to you. That's my tip. I was really touched by the line from the epistle in Romans, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Because if we do believe that from Exodus that God is with us and that we are called to pick up our cross and deny ourselves and follow the way of Jesus, the way of love, then there will be suffering. But if we know, if we hold before us that hope, that love of God, um, and that we are patient and that we are engaged in prayer in every step that we take along that journey, that we know that God is with us. The idea that one stick is weak, but a bundle is strong. Mm -hmm. We as a church do not enter into this ministry as individuals, but we enter into it as a community. And the more of us that engage in this, the stronger we become, the more of a, a light of love and hope we are into the world. And particularly, as Phoebe has said, and that Reverend Leon have said to our youth, to that younger generation, that is what we um, have to offer to the world. Yeah, I think it's a really exciting starting point for people preaching in this fall season and this season of creation to start with this lectionary for today. I think it's a really rich starting point. And I'd also, you know, say to the congregation that this is just the beginning and that we're invited to participate in this season of creation through to the Feast of St. Francis. Um, and that the conversations and the reflection we start today can grow and deepen over the course of these five Sundays and that it's an invitation to this ongoing work. I think I would be sure to mention that. And I might also return back to some of the words of the collect that says, graft in our hearts the love of your name. You know, that this is really about love in so many ways to nourish us with all goodness and bring forth in us the fruit of good works. That it is about carrying the cross, but it's also about these good works being brought forth in us. It's a really rich and exciting beginning. Delia, you talked about these sticks and the bundle and I was at a wedding and I started just have to share the story. And I don't know if you know what sweet grass is, but it's like this long grass that smells wonderful and they braid it. Um, and I was at a, it was an indigenous wedding and the person had a braid of sweetgrass and you wouldn't think that it was strong, but he's like, grab it. And that, that was like his sermon. I don't think he thought of it as a sermon, but he's like, he told the husband and the wife to grab it and pull. And so they kind of did it. He's like, no, pull hard. Like you're trying to break it and it wouldn't break. And these are blades of dry grass. And it's like here they're woven together in this braid and they're so strong. And he was talking about, he was that to illustrate about how we as the community being at this wedding are there to support this couple. And when they are just two people, they're just like two braids of grass. But when the whole community comes together to support them, it is strong. Um, so I had to share that story. If you're going to preach on Exodus, I think the question would be like, where have we heard the misery? Where is the cry? And then what is God calling us to do? And how do we hear that cry? And so maybe entering into a season of discernment in the season of creation about what are we called to do that? This could be the beginning of that. And if it's Matthew, I think talking about that interaction between Peter and Jesus, like where are we stumbling blocks? 
or that question about that complicated one about those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose it will that that i think those are always good spots to try but thank you so much for being willing to be guests on the podcast and share your wisdom and stories and ideas this has been great i really appreciate it and so do our listeners thank you all thank you all yeah if you want to learn more about Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. If you want to learn more about creation care, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash creation hyphen care. Thanks to our guests, Phoebe, Leon, and Delia. Thanks also to our production team, especially Chris and Asma. If we planted a seed in your heart, please rate, review, and of course, share our podcast. Until next time, let your light shine. You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community, deepen your love for God, kick off the 81st General Convention, and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec lovealways.